Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. for the word this morning. Anybody? Yes. Amen. Kirby raised her hand. Thank you. Ready for the word. You're such a teacher, Kirby. You're such a teacher. I just love it. Such a teacher. All right, boys and girls, get your Bibles out this morning. Amen. (laughs) Love you, Kirby. You're awesome. You are awesome. You know that? You really are awesome. I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 3 this morning. Acts chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I'm going to quote to you the two verses that have been uh, our main our main texts in this series. We're we're finishing and concluding our series that we started four weeks ago, titled "Power from Above." So I'm finishing that this morning. And while you're turning to Acts three, I'm going to read you Luke twenty four forty nine and Acts one eight. Luke 24, 49, Jesus is speaking. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Acts 1, 8, Jesus is speaking again, and he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Have you found Acts chapter 3 this morning? We're going to read the first eight verses, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Wonderful story from Acts 3. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Fixing his eyes on him with Peter, or with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately, everybody say immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, walking, leaping, or excuse me, as he, leaping up, stood and walked, entering with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. What an amazing story for a man to get healed on the way to church and then go to church with the people that healed him. Pretty awesome story. As we uh, are going to wrap up our our series this week, I'm very excited to talk to you from the title. And I mentioned this two Sundays ago. If you grew up listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers, then this title will make sense to you. We've We've been talking about how We're clothed with power from on high. Today's title, in conclusion, is give it away, give it away, give it away now. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for yet another opportunity to come before your word and receive your wisdom. Today, Father, we receive not only the wisdom and the insight that comes from your word, but we receive from it direction, marching orders, as it were to take what we've been given and go into the world and begin to see a difference being made in our community. God, I pray that as we read the word and as we study these scriptures today, that we would be empowered to see transformation in our community. Would you breathe upon the word today? Would you illuminate everything that the text has to speak to us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you do a divine work of speaking into the hearts of men and women as we preach this morning. We'll be careful to give you the glory and the praise for all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, say amen.
and amen. As we jump in, I'd like for us to make our our faith declaration that we make on Sundays before we preach, and, and I'd like for you to turn your attention to the screens. Many of you know this already, but if this is new for you, you can read it off the screen today. Let's declare this over our lives. Say it out loud. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart. Y'all keep going. Today I am growing in the things of God. We're winding down this series, which for me has been uh, nothing short of exceptional. Um, Not my preaching, but just the study in these things. I've so thoroughly enjoyed, yeah, I'm not that brazen, okay? Uh, I mean, it's been all right, but, uh, you know. (laughs) No, this is the, the study of this for me personally has been just absolutely phenomenal. And, I, and my prayer is that it has impacted you in the same way that it's impacted me. I think one of the challenges that we have as preachers sometimes, and if you've ever preached, you, you know this to be true, uh, the challenge of communicating to you with the same strength and vigor with which the Holy Spirit communicates to, to me as a preacher. I, I, I'm, I spend so much of my time asking the Lord, Lord, help me to get this out in the same way that you put it in. You know, help me to, help me to deliver this in the same way that it was delivered to me. And so I pray, and my desire is that this has been impactful for you as well. Uh, we have spent the last three weeks, not counting our picnic and baptisms last week, discussing the power of the Holy Spirit and what it means to be clothed in that power. In week one, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, how he's more than a sensation, how he's more than a substance. He is a person. Amen. He is, ready for this? He is God. Shocker, right? He's God. Just as much as the Father is God, just as much as Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit himself is God. And we have got to embrace a mindset that values and honors him based on the reality of who he is. Isn't that right? We spoke about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is still in week one. I'm doing just a moment of review to catch everybody up. We spoke about being baptized into the Holy Spirit and about how this is a significant and subsequent experience beyond our salvation. We said that God desires us literally to be clothed with power, with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you remember how I told you the story of my favorite sweater? And how when I put my favorite sweater on, I sink into it. And it's the same language that that the Greek uses in in these texts, specifically Luke 24, about being clothed with power from on high. God desires for you to sink into his power the way you sink into a comfortable couch, the way you sink into bed at night, the way you sink into clothing. He wants us to be comfortable in his presence and comfortable with his power in our lives. In week two, we talked about why the Bible declares that this Holy Spirit power is necessary for our lives and for the body of Christ. I explained to you why I am not a cessationist in my doctrine, why I believe that the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit and his power is still a reality. I presented a case to you regarding why both Jesus and Paul consider the power of the Holy Spirit as absolutely essential to preaching and teaching the gospel. In week three, we talked about the dangers of unbelief. How many of you remember that one? Talking about Jesus in his own hometown. We said that the dangers of unbelief cause the Holy Spirit's power to be rendered ineffective in our lives. We saw how in Jesus' hometown, he was unable to do many miracles because of the people there. And I showed you kind of systematically down through the text how how their astonishment turned to dishonor 
their dishonor turned to offense, and their offense ultimately turned into unbelief. And then it was this unbelief that prevented Jesus from actually doing a whole lot in the way of ministry. We saw how that same unbelief threatens our ability to receive God's power in our lives if we allow it to. And today, I want us to conclude this series with a sense of commitment to this mandate given to us by God. That we should take not only His Word, but also the power of His Spirit into this community and into this culture and give it away, give it away, give it away now. I'm going to say that a lot throughout this message, by the way, just so you're aware. Peter and John come to this gate, which is called the beautiful gate in the, in the city of Jerusalem. And they're on their way into the temple. Now, you have to just put yourself in the story for a moment. Jesus has raised from the dead. He spent 40 days with his disciples. After that time, he was ascended back into heaven. They spent the remaining 10 days in the upper room in prayer, waiting for this gift of the Holy Spirit to become poured out. And then on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, uh, the word Pentecost meaning the 50th day. Uh, It's funny how the Bible just lines up perfectly. Uh, On the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, they received this gift of the Holy Spirit. And from that moment in time, literally everything else changed. From that moment in time, the, the same Peter who denied Christ is now the same Peter leading a thriving church of over 10,000 people. Just like that. How astonishing that the church in Jerusalem went from 120 fervent, passionate prayer people up in the, in the upper room, and in a moment, in a week's time, became a church of over 10,000 people, freshly saved by a couple of sermons. It's quite amazing. It can only be attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit. Mankind can't do that on its own. So they're on their way to a prayer meeting in the temple. They come in through this gate, and there they see this gentleman begging for alms. This is a guy that the Bible says, was there from his, from his youth, from his mother's womb. He'd never walked. And somehow he had found his way to that temple gate where he could beg for people to help him get by. It's on this way into a prayer meeting. I believe that Peter and John aren't even necessarily thinking of this guy. I have to imagine that they're thinking of the prayer meeting. I think they're, they're, in, they're newly in charge of this burgeoning, explosive church. The power of God's doing all kinds of stuff. I have to imagine every day was an adventure in the early, in the early church. Like they would wake up and go, what are we going to do today, Lord? What if, what if you and I did that every morning, by the way? What's today going to look like? Holy Spirit, what adventure are we going to go on today? Who am I going to, who am I going to meet today? Lord, yesterday. Ooh, you're going to have, it's going to be a hard, hard one to top yesterday, Father. What if we woke up with that kind of expectation? Here they are. We read the story. They, they find this man expecting to receive alms or donations. Uh, Charles Capps used to say this guy was, was looking for alms and got legs instead, which I thought was always funny. He's begging for alms and got legs. But you see how he was healed and how radical in that moment uh, everything, everything just took off for this guy. It's incredible. We find out later that Peter and John actually got in trouble for this by the chief priests and the rulers. But I want to leave Peter and John for a second and, and the, the no longer lame man. Uh, we'll leave him there in Acts 3. And I want you to jump over to John chapter 7 for a second because I, I want us to talk about how to give it away, give it away, give it away now because you've got something in you. And I, and I, I think sometimes we as believers either forget or get intimidated by what has actually been deposited in us. If you were to read, and we don't have time to go there for, for this morning, but if you were to read Ephesians chapter 3, 
you'd find very quickly that you and I have been filled with what Paul calls all the fullness of God. Shock, awe, tilt, yikes. It's a big, big statement. I believe it's verse 19 that says that we have been filled with all the fullness of God. So God has deposited his supernatural ability, his spirit within you. Romans chapter 8 verse, 14, or verse 11 says that the same spirit which raised and resurrected Jesus from the dead is living in us and giving power to our mortal bodies. The Holy Spirit, the same spirit that went to work bringing Jesus up out of the grave is now resident in you and resident in me. What a thought. But I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes life comes and, you know, digs into us and puts pressure on us and the enemy comes to, to try to, to just limit us in any way possible and we can forget who is living in us. John chapter 7, verse 37 says this, On the last day, that day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me take a look at that last line for a second to give it some give you some context and some understanding. It says Jesus had not yet been glorified, meaning Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't died in our place for our sins. He hadn't been buried and, and, and experienced the ravages of hell for three days yet. He hadn't been resurrected miraculously, and he hadn't yet ascended to his heavenly Father and cast his very blood onto heaven's mercy seat. He had not gone through this yet. He was still on his way to the cross. And because of that, the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. So Jesus is speaking here prophetically, and he says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of her heart. I think this is one of those verses where it's not just talking about men, although it uses the masculine language. It's talking about anybody who believes in him, male or female. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Holy Spirit whom those believing in him, future tense, would receive. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Now, why do we look at the scripture? Because sometimes we forget what we've been given. Sometimes we, we forget who we've been given. You know, you and I are in this verse. <laughs> you and I are in this verse. Can I prove it to you? Yes, you can, Pastor John. Oh, thank you. Okay, very good. You and I are in this verse. What, what does it say there? He who believes in me. That's us. Are you a believer in Jesus this morning? You believe in Jesus? Listen, if you don't, you can get saved at the end of the service. I'll, I'll gladly lead you to the Lord. But if, you, if you've already gone through that experience, then you believe in Christ this morning. Your, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're in the family of God. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Praise God you qualify. He who believes in me, that's us. Out of his heart, that's us. Out of whose heart? The one who believes in him. Out of whose heart flow rivers of living water? The one who believes in Christ. That's us. I want, you to, I want you to just for a second, just imagine a river. Uh, in fact, at, at the beginning of the, of the series, I mentioned and, and I kicked off the whole series talking about Niagara Falls. Do you remember that, those who were here for the first, first part? I was born and raised in Niagara Falls, and, and, and I talked about the power plant that's there. Well, I want you to imagine if you've ever been to Niagara Falls or if you've seen videos or picture of it or if you 
have ever stood next to a river, let's say. We'll try to make it as broad as possible. I want you to imagine a river for just a second in your mind's eye. You can mention, you can think of Niagara Falls if you want to. Imagine what a river does. It moves consistently, ever-present, ever-moving, ever-going, ever-flowing, ever-stagnant, never-stopping. Sometimes uh, we, we, have a, we have a creek behind our house, and, and when it rains really hard, that creek becomes a river. And, it, and boy, does it move. And it'll carry all kinds of things in it. It'll carry sticks and shrubs. It'll carry chairs, small animals, kids, you name it. It'll, it'll take it all. I want you to imagine that out of your very inner being, out of your heart itself, is the Holy Spirit desiring to flow out of you with the same intentionality and the same veracity as a river. Note the direction of the flow of the river. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. I keep saying belly, by the way, because that's the King James Version, and that's the way I heard it growing up all the time. We used to sing a song, as a matter of fact, as a kid. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors and sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. Spring up a well and give to me that life abundantly. You know, as good as that song is, the, the theology in it's not great. You want to know why? Because it, it says, I've got a river of life. Jesus didn't say that. He said, you have rivers of living water flowing out of you. We'll get to that in just a moment. This is one of those verses now that is multi-layered, okay? It has application in several different directions. When Jesus said, he who believes in me, out of his heart flow rivers of living water, it's both prophetic and practical language. Watch what I mean here. This is prophetic because this speaks of the river in heaven that flows out from God's throne. And actually, the scripture talks about that river in a lot of different places. In, in many times in the book of Psalms, uh, Ezekiel chapter 46, Revelation chapter 22, God see, uh, John sees the, the throne of God and he sees a river flowing out from the throne of God. And everywhere the river goes, there is life. The scripture says in Revelation chapter 22, it says that, that everywhere the river goes, there's life, and there's all these trees growing along the river in John's vision. And the Bible says that the leaves on those trees are for the healing of the nations. Everywhere the river goes, there is life. I want you to think about that for a second. Everywhere the river goes, there is life. Is this the same river that's flowing out of you? You better believe it. And everywhere it goes, there is life. It's prophetic in that this concept of the river of God's just confirmed over and over and over again all through Scripture. But now it's very practical at the same time because of the very next line. It says, this he spoke of the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. It is a very practical and in a very practical and real sense, the Holy Spirit is in you right now along with all of his power. Do you realize that you don't have a lesser version of the Holy Spirit than anybody else? Do you realize that there aren't, there aren't given to us, uh, you know, graded, um, uh, you know, bell-curved, adjusted gifts of the Holy Spirit? Everybody gets the same God when they say yes to Jesus. Everybody gets the same amount of God's power, the same potency, the same potential, the same reality of God's power in you is exactly the same as it is in your neighbor. The only difference is in how we have learned to yield to him. That's it. It's so easy. It's so easy. The Holy Spirit is in you like rivers of living water, and the direction that the river is supposed to flow is out. Boy, do we mess this one up. Can I come out from behind the pulpit for a second and talk to you real? 
boy, do we, boy, do we mess this one up. We just think that the Holy Ghost is for us. Us four no more. Hey, brother, let's get together and have a prayer meeting. Why? We're going to pray for each other's needs? No, we're just going to lay hands on each other until we both fall out. We're just going to pray selfishly for the next three hours, and God's going to do amazing things. We'll certainly get some goosebumps. Now, see, the, 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 the direction of the water is out. Right? Now, is the Holy Spirit want to bless you? You better believe it. If you pray and worship and you have time with God, is he gonna is he gonna move? Absolutely. Is it gonna be awesome? You better believe it. But the Holy Spirit wants out of you because he wants to get into other people too. Because he wants to, he wants to impact and, and minister to the hurts of the people that are around us. And so I think we can't fail to see the direction that the river is supposed to flow. I want you to note, as I just said a moment ago, the plurality of the word rivers, more than one. The Holy Spirit's power, when it manifests, it often manifests according to whatever the need is. So it may look different every time. Jesus often ministered in different ways to different people. You know, to one guy, he said, go dip in the, go dip in the river seven times. To another guy, he spat on the ground and he took some mud and put it on his eyes. To some, he laid hands on him. To some, he just spoke. To some, he didn't do anything. The woman at the issue of blood took healing from Jesus. He wasn't even aware. She had so much faith, she just came behind him and said, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll get healed. Watch. And then she went and did it. You see, the, 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 the reality of the Holy Spirit in us is so broad, so diverse, so powerful, so real, that no matter what the situation is, if you'll learn to get out of the way and let the river flow out, the rivers will touch whatever needs to be touched, and life will go wherever the river flows. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. You and I have something very powerful in us that we can give. I said this at the beginning. I think a lot of people live either in fear or, or, or they live in intimidation or whatever the case may be because they feel like I have nothing to offer. Have you ever been there? I've been there many times. So many times, why, why, why I would really love to see, uh, you know, old Johnny get healed or old Johnny get saved, but I, I don't know, I have nothing to give him. I got nothing to offer. You may not have anything up here that feels relevant, but in here, you got everything to offer. You've got rivers of living water coming out of you. And the reality is that you know, they, John Maxwell taught us this, this statement years and years ago. You can't give what you don't have. You ever thought of that before? You can't give what you don't have. I, boy, I would really love to give you a Ferrari this morning, but I just don't have one, so I'm so sorry. Please don't be mad at me. I can't give you what I don't have, but here's the reality. I'm obligated to give you what I do have. The, the Bible says in the Old Testament, in the, in the Psalms, that, that, that it, it, it's, and I'm going to, butcher the scripture so I don't want I'm going to mess it up but you'll just forgive me anyways that that it's it, when it's within our power to do good and we withhold then we have a problem that's what that's what the scripture says we should not withhold to do good when it's in our power to do so. And so the reality is whether you feel it or not, you've got a river of life. You've got rivers of living water pouring out of you. And so the thing that you and I have to learn to do is give it away, give it away, give it away now. I may not feel like I have anything relevant to offer, but the Holy Spirit on the inside of me has something different to say. So the question is now, how do we give it away, give it away give it away now somewhere chad smith is just drumming in the background if you didn't listen to red hot chili peppers i'm so sorry this is not going to be good for you but if you did you can smile along with me how do we give it away how do we how do we not hoard up the power of god to ourselves but how do we develop a culture within our own selves that says i want to distribute 
that which I've been given. Jesus, when he called the 12, or excuse me, when he sent out the 70 in Luke, he, he, he sent them out and he said these words, freely you have received, freely give. So how do we do that? Let's go back to our passage. Acts 3, we'll begin in verse 4. Let's read it through again. Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, verse 6, silver and gold I do not have. Now, there have been some who've used that to create a theology of poverty. That's not what the scripture's talking about. He says, silver and gold I don't have. In other words, I don't have the exact thing that you're looking for right now. But what I do have, I give you. You see, Peter could give exactly what he had because he had the Holy Spirit resident inside of him just like you. You see, my goal here is for you to identify not with the lame man who was healed, but with Peter and John. That's, every time I preach the, the woman with the issue of blood, I, I, I try to make the same statement. We always identify with the woman and never with Jesus in that passage. I mean, listen, if you need to be healed, I want you to be healed, praise God. But the, but the desire would be, the goal would be to, to live a healthy, healed life and to be the guy that's healing other people. Amen. Silver and gold, verse 6. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand. Look at the boldness of Peter. He doesn't even wait for the guy to respond. Now, can I tell you something in all seriousness? Our culture would deem that rude, aggressive, our culture would look at that and say, how dare Peter try to pull somebody up out of, off the ground? Well, see, if he was doing it in his own, in his own strength, it would be terrible. But, but he wasn't doing it in his own strength. He was, he was letting the river flow out of him. Amen. Took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. How do we give it away? Give it away. Give it away now. How do we do that? Well, the easiest way I know is to say this, that you're going to have to let some things go, and you're going to have to hold on to some things. You're going to have to let some things go. If you want to be used by God in this way, and you can, every one of us can, right? Every one of us qualifies for this because we already identified that. Holy Spirit's living on the inside of us. So how do I live this way? Well, the only way I can say, the best way I know how to say it is to say this. You're going to have to learn to let some things go, and you're going to have to learn to hold on to some things. In other words, you're going to have to live with a sense of intentionality, and you're going to have to make some choices. These choices don't affect your eternal salvation. I'm not talking to you about stuff that's going to keep you out of heaven or, in, or get you into heaven. You already believe this is, I've, I'm going to have to make some decisions. I'm going to have to come to the fork in the road in my life where I get to prioritize the kingdom of God or I get to prioritize my own agenda. Or I'm going to seek first the kingdom or I'm going to seek first the lake house. Or I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God or I'm going to seek first Netflix. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God or I'm going to seek first gossip. You follow me? You're going to have to hold on to some things and you're going to have to let some things go. Let's start with the let things go part, okay? So we can move through those quickly. Now, there's probably more than three, but I've identified three of them for us today. Three things that you're going to have to let go of if you want to be used by God in his power. If you want to give it away, give it away, give it away now. Number one thing you're going to have to get rid of, fear and intimidation. Fear and intimidation. Peter was fearless because he knew what he had to give to the man. Peter and John were fearless. They weren't trying to protect their reputation. Amen. They weren't trying to protect their reputation in the community. 
They recognized a need, and because they knew who was living in them, they were fearless. The Bible says the wicked may flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are bold as lions. You're going to walk with God and be used in the power of God. You're going to have to get rid of fear and intimidation. Number two, you're going to have to let go of apathy. Amen. Not quite as many amens on that one. That's fine. You're going to have to get rid of this one, okay? You're going to have to get rid of this apathy in your mind. Oh, somebody else will do it. Somebody else's job. Greatest, one of my greatest uh, ministerial regrets happened at Chata Thai. Y'all remember Chata Thai restaurant? Anybody been in Boone long enough to remember Chata Thai? Rest in peace, man. That place was awesome. <laughs> that place was so great. And I was with some coworkers having lunch one day, and, and I saw a blind man walking in, struggling up those steps outside of that restaurant, and, and then struggling to get in the door. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I had what he needed. And I didn't get up. Why? Somebody else will do it. Somebody else's job. I'm here with my coworkers. We got to get back. I don't want to get in trouble with my boss for being five minutes late because I got a blind guy healed. Peter and John were living with a keen and passionate awareness of the great commission of Jesus Christ. You want to know what cures apathy? Pray till you get passionate. You want to break apathy off your life? Just just make the decision, I'm going to pray until something changes inside of me and I get passionate about the things of God again. Because we've all been there. I've been apathetic in my life more times than I care to admit. Number three thing you're going to have to let go. Y'all still with me? All right, y'all look up here. Number three thing you're going to have to get rid of, compromise. Oh, yeah, let's talk about it. Mmm, compromise, yummy. <laughs> what is compromise? Well, I can say this. The world's filled with it, left, right, and center. What's compromise? It's letting go of our convictions and what we know to be true. I like this, this definition. You're going to love this. One author defines compromise this way. Compromise is simply changing the question to fit the answer. Ouch. Compromise is changing the question to fit the answer. Compromise is when I don't like what it's going to cost me, so I change the arrangement to fix my comforts. I don't like what that's going to cost, so let's, let's move the goalposts until we're comfortable. When's the, when's the, can I ask you a real question? When's the last time serving Jesus ever cost you anything? When's the last time serving Jesus ever cost you anything? I'm not talking about the, the dumb repercussions of your dumb decisions. I am talking about when taking a stand for the things of God cost you something. I want to go to the next chapter because as, you, as, as, as we learn to let go of fear and apathy, and compromise, I believe God's got something he wants us to cling to. Those are the things we have to let go of. Let's look at this verse. It's in the very next chapter. I told you that Peter and John got in trouble for ministering to this young man. I'm assuming he was young. Getting this guy healed. They got in trouble. They went and stood before a tribunal. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 4 in the very next chapter says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And this statement has eaten me alive for so many years. And they realized they had been with Jesus. 
in this very next chapter, when they're standing in front of this tribunal of the chief priests who have arrested them for healing a guy, the overwhelming, overarching thing is that the chief priests have recognized these guys have been with Jesus. You're going you're gonna to have to, if you, if you want to move in God's power, you're going to have to spend some time with Jesus to the degree that people recognize that you've been with him. I'll give you three things to let go of. I want to give you three things to hold on to this morning. Once you've let go of fear, once you've let go of apathy, once you've ridded your life of compromise, you're going to need to hold on to the name of Jesus. Do you notice how, how when it came time to heal this man, what did Peter say? Such as I have, give I thee. That's the old King James. What I do have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. You want to be used by God's spirit. If you want to flow with the river, you're going to have to get comfortable with the name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says that God has highly exalted Christ and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. Isn't that amazing? Peter and John in fact, we didn't read it for time's sake, but in that chapter 4, when they're standing before this tribunal of people, when they're standing trial, the, the, the chief priests ask them, they say, by what authority or by what name have you done this? And the, the, the scripture goes on to say that, that, that Peter marveled at them and said, how is it that you look at us as though we did this with our power? No, it was the name of Jesus that made the difference. In your life, when you're ministering, in your life, when you're taking a stand for Christ, boy, it's the name of Jesus that means everything. It's our weapon that we can use to combat the schemes of the enemy. It's the mighty, powerful, awesome, timeless name of Jesus Christ. And within that name is invested all the authority of heaven. At the name of Jesus, angels stand at attention and demons cower in defeat. At the name of Jesus, cancer has to leave bodies and become subjugated to the authority of the name of the living God. You see, when you understand that you're not taking authority in your own authority, but you're operating in what God has invested in you. You're, you're letting the river of the Holy Spirit flow out of you and you're operating in the authority of the name of Jesus. My friend, you become unstoppable. So you gotta hold on to Jesus' name. Hold on to the name of Jesus. Number two, what do you gotta hold on to? You gotta hold on to bold faith. Man, if you wanna give it away, give it away, give it away now. You've got to have a refusal to doubt. You've got to be bold like Peter and John were bold. An unshakable commitment to trust in the power of God. You know, in that moment when, when Peter stretched out his hand, he didn't just believe that God could. He believed that God would in that moment. So all of us believe God can do things. All of us believe God's power is real. The question is, do we have the faith to believe that when we declare things in his name, that he'll actually show up and do? Number three, consecration. It's not a popular word, maybe not a word you've used or even heard of in a long time. We're gonna, if we're gonna, be these messengers of hope into this world and if we're going to take the ministry of the Holy Spirit into our community, we're going to have to live a life that's consecrated before God. My parents used to tell me when I was young, they would say, you can't do what every other kid gets to do. Why? Why? I, I, I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah, it's not about just doing what's right and wrong. It's about living a life that is 
purely consecrated to the Lord. The word consecration means to be set apart, used for a singularity of purpose. I always, when I think about consecration, I always think about the, the, uh, the, the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. Because if you go into the Old Testament and you read about all the different things that were used in the temple, they had all different kind of size plates and candlesticks and all different kinds of stuff. Those things were instruments that were consecrated for temple use. So, so when the priest would go into the, into the tabernacle and he would see there was showbread on top of this tray, it, that tray was only for the showbread. The priest wasn't eating chicken wings off of that tray later on. It was consecrated, set apart for single use. One of my favorite verses in high school, I can still remember where I was sitting in our youth room when I read this verse for the first time. It was 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. It became one of my favorite verses. It reads, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And watch this. This is the promise. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We need, listen, I believe in this day and age, God is raising up both preachers and people in the pews that will have a prayer like Isaiah prayed when he went into heaven in Isaiah chapter 6. Woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. I believe that God, especially in our generation, is raising people up who have more of a heart to serve God than they do to compromise for the world. I believe that the answer to compromise is consecration, that we, that we make the decision as the people of God to say, I'm not going to touch what's unclean. I don't want to have a part in what the world's doing because I'm sold out to Jesus to the degree that I want to be used by him. I want to love him more. I want to know him more. It's actually really and truly all about him. You gotta hold on to the name of Jesus. You gotta hold on to your faith. You gotta hold on to a consecrated lifestyle. Why? Why? Why should we give it away? Why? Because there's people's lives at stake. still in Acts 2. I want you to read verse two, uh, Acts 3. I want you to read verse 2 again. It says, a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb. Why do we have to be, why do we, why do we need to consecrate our lives before God? Because there are people out there lame from their mother's womb. This man had never known wholeness. This man had lived not one day of his life understanding what it meant to just be completely normal in his body. One of the things that I love so much about this passage is that the man came looking for some pocket change, but God had better ideas. This man's best for himself was that I get a little bit of a free handout. God's best for him was that he be completely restored in his health. No wonder he went walking and leaping and praising God. You see, we, we, <laughs> we have to learn to embrace this kind of lifestyle because there are people out there that have never known wholeness. This guy had never had a single day in his life where he was healthy. Can you imagine that? I don't know about you, but, but there have been times when I've gotten sick in my life and, and the, the, the thought that comes and plagues me in those moments is, this is how it's going to be forever. You ever had those, those kind of thoughts when you're sick? You're like, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm on my way to death's door. I mean, it's, just, it's going to be like this forever. And then, you know, two days later, the cough goes away. Can you imagine? I want you to put yourself in this guy's position. 
Can you imagine a lifetime of pain? A lifetime of brokenness. A lifetime not knowing what it meant to be whole. The cost is too high. The stakes are too high. The need is too great for us to simply be passive in our belief. We've got to become world changers. We've got to raise up people who are strong in the power of the Holy Spirit, who have a desire to see their world turned around. Pastor Norm Du Bois, I'll, I'll close with this. He was preaching a couple weeks ago in the church in Tulsa. And I saw this on Instagram. It was so good. He said, he said, people are coming to church and they're hungry and they're broken and they're in need. And when they come to our church, they can't come looking for a miracle and only find a message. They can't come looking for a miracle only find a message. We've got to have something more. We've got to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit because there's lives in the balance. Amen. Stand to your feet this morning. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.